This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Jeff Kasuf here with another episode of Kicking Back, and I'm joined this episode by Jen Hildreth, who got to introduce as the voice of women's soccer in the U.S. really. She does play-by-play for just about everything. If you watch the National Women's Soccer League, you've heard her calling games. She called WPS, the league prior to the NWSL. She calls games, college games for ESPN, ACC Network, and she is a World Cup veteran uh, on the on the broadcast side, that is, uh, calling World Cup games. So um, Jen with well over a decade of experience calling women's soccer in the U.S. Uh, really a, a pleasure to chat with her about a lot of things on this episode. Some of the the nerdier stuff about broadcasting and media, how things are different during these times with this pandemic where everything is remote and you're not in a stadium and the stadiums are empty and you can't necessarily see what you need to see for your job. Um, and, and some of her favorite memories from these leagues and these teams and players and calling these games, which um, she gets to, to have kind of a unique view during normal times being in a stadium, obviously, and, and seeing these games play out and talking to these players and coaches you know, on the weekly uh, to prepare for matches. So uh, really excited to bring you this episode. She gives us a, some cool inside tips and, and pulls out. She even has some props, even though this is a podcast, you can't quite see them, but she walks us through them, talks us through them. So really exciting podcast for you all uh, here with Jen Hildreth. Please go ahead and rate and review this pod. Give us those five stars and give us a review. And it helps us get this out there to more people just like you. The more that you do that, the more that this becomes visible and searchable uh, to make up a term. So go ahead and do that and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We're back with plenty of episodes. Got a lot of really fun guests lined up. Total variety from players to coaches to broadcasters, just everybody in the game, even some admins coming up, some executives. So uh, without further ado, here's the latest episode of Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. We have Jen Hildreth here on Kicking Back, the voice of women's soccer. She didn't tell me to say that, I swear, but that's how I have to introduce her. <laughs> Jen, how you doing? Hey, thank you for having me, and I will take that title all day long. <laughs> yeah, I go with that. Yeah, did did a little bit of the uh, the bio and the resume there in the intro right before this, but um, for those of you listening, international games, college games on on ESPN, ACC, um, just a little bit of of everything everywhere. You're you're keeping busy is is really the general theme there, right? Well, yeah, for now, and as we all know, uh, very grateful to be busy because there was a long stretch there of a whole lot of nothing <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. past summer where who knew if we'd ever see sports as we knew them again, and I don't think we are seeing them now, really, if you talk about sports as you know it. Obviously, there are a lot of big differences. So as I think a lot of people have felt, I'm certainly grateful to have the games I do. I'm grateful to be busy, even though there are some 
distinct differences than what it would normally look like for me <laughs> calling games. Yeah, no, I love to, uh, I love to talk the media side. It's, it's maybe a bit on the nerdy side, but I think it's interesting for folks to kind of get the, uh, the other end of the, the camera or the other end of the, the computer. And um, one to start there, I mean, 2020 has just been your body, everything. I mean, there's nothing normal in, in any field, but, you know, certainly kind of an abrupt adjustment for, for covering games. You know, you did those remotely um, and that's probably, you know, not even the, the most exact word considering the circumstances, but what's this year been like calling these NWSL games, the challenge cup, now the fall series and, and even the college games and how have you had to adjust, give us some of the insight of, of what that looks like, you know, for you uh, in the quote-unquote, uh, I guess, studio and not stadium. Yeah, exactly. Well, and as you, I'm sure, know, you know, calling off a monitor is nothing really new in terms of especially when you call international events like World Cup, a lot of those are done that way. So I've certainly have done it in the past. And at ESPN, you know, they have a lot of Remy events. A lot more events are being done that way. So I've had some experience dealing with some of the things that you have to deal with, knowing that you don't have your eyes. I don't have binoculars that allow me to look wherever I want to look on a field. I'm only able to look at what I am given. And that's very frustrating at times. But for NWSL, you know, that has meant going down to Vista and they do a great job there. They are an amazing facility in terms of all the different types of events that they put out. And so they know what they're doing. And we've gone down there. You know, I think about Mike Watts and Lori Lindsay, they were down there for the whole month of the Challenge Cup and I just kind of bombed in and out for a couple and then now I've gotten to go back for the fall series. So it's been a little bit of Groundhog Day every week, go down to Fort Lauderdale and we've kind of gotten into a nice routine down there with our team behind the scenes and uh, calling the games off the monitors there. So that feels fairly normal. The part that is really crazy is the fact that I'm calling college games from literally right where I'm sitting right now in my basement. And ESPN sent me an at-home kit, um, which I would turn the camera around and show you, but my desk is such a god-awful mess right now. I'm not going to do that. But I have, you know, a big giant monitor that they sent, a special computer, a whole sound box with a headset. And it's, on the one hand, I'm just completely blown away that I'm able to do that and sit in my basement and then put the headset down and walk upstairs and have dinner with my kids. Like that's, that's unbelievably wonderful. And it's a great silver lining of this pandemic time that we're in. Um, but the hard part of course is, well, there are several challenges. I mean, this is new to everybody, right? And in terms of the way we're doing it with these at-home kits. So we're dealing with control rooms on campus um, and they vary from campus to campus. And a lot of these people, there are some students in there. There are certainly some more experienced people too behind the scenes, but um, a lot of that is you get used to it. You get used to certain things doing broadcasting when you have experienced people doing it with you that you forget you need to kind of help or mind. Like, oh, I asked for a shot of the bench, but don't show me that while we're in action or, you know, and they're just, they're all doing their best. And these are small isolated incidents, but it's kind of going back a little bit to broadcasting one-on-one and me having to think a little bit more at times as a producer and nudge a little bit more for storylines and say, Hey, no, we need to, we need to stay here and we need to watch this injured player who's down. We can't go away and tell another story or whatever it may be. So, um, that that has been hard and at the beginning the visuals were kind of grainy and hard to see so seeing numbers was incredibly difficult and in college soccer when you're allowed mass substitutions and players can go in and out in the second half 
Um, it was really, really difficult to identify players. And that drives me crazy as a broadcaster because I feel like that's like layer one of broadcasting. What I do is making sure that I'm identifying correctly and I'm telling who the player is. And now, okay, now that we know who number five is, now I can start thinking about other storylines. But the first couple games, I was so white knuckled staring at the screen like, wait, is that number five? I don't know. We're ponytails covering it. And this jersey with green, I just, I can't see it. So um, having to not let that frustration completely take me out of the broadcast has, uh, has, has been a big challenge too. Yeah, it's incredibly different to watch a game in person versus on TV, even from, you know, my perspective of typically or, or almost always covering it digitally, quote unquote, you know, not being live in real time like yourself. So I imagine what it's like to uh to not be able to identify that and not have the i guess forgiveness of of time to figure it out where you've got an audience that wants to know right away and i'm sure uh you know you're calling acc network games i'm sure you've got the uh the anson dorance uh quadruple sub and you know you're trying to figure everything out so you know what I've got to give I'll give Anson so much credit I used to cringe and think my hold on I'm gonna get a prop I got prop for you here um so my boards work wonderfully for the international game and the professional game so my all my little handmade stickers and you know, Sharpie writing and everything's wonderful but then you get into college and so usually what I'll do is if there's a sub Okay, so Sydney the Roof's coming off, so I'd peel her off and I'd put on whoever's coming in. Well, then you get into college and you've got, you know, like you said, sometimes five, six coming in at a time for both teams. And all of a sudden I've got like little stickies like flying all over. When I used to be on site, I'd, sometimes I would lose them. They'd be fly off in the wind somewhere in the press box. So I knew that this system was not wonderful for college. However, the one thing with North Carolina, they do sub a lot, but they are also, um, Anson is usually pretty set in what his second unit looks like. So this year when we have had them, he gives me his starting lineup and then he says, okay, this is what the second unit will look like. You know, Emily Fox is going to shift here and then all the subs are going to come here and this is where they'll be. And so literally I just flipped my board over and I said, okay, here's the second side. So I actually managed it a lot better. And I felt like that was a, a big moment of growth for me and my my broadcasting the college game <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really interesting on the just kind of the different levels of of uh of the game that you call and and how they vary and obviously at the pro level given the pandemic there's a few more subs um yeah. allowed this year and and some leagues stretching into next year but um i think that's a good segue too of i mean you've called world cups and and i wanted to ask you you know you calling the 2019 world cup you did that from la so you have some or had some training prior to this in, in kind of remote games and how they operate. Um, I was having this conversation. I've had this throughout this pandemic to some degree, as we've seen news in, in every field, I think even, you know, companies that have nothing to do with maybe our field, but that have said, wow, remote working actually works and things like that. I mean, how much do you think this year has permanently changed the field, maybe not just the field of broadcasting, to, but to be, you know, a wider scope for people who are watching games, just the TV experience for a viewer for sports? Gosh, I think that's yet to be determined. I think there are multiple factors at play. So interestingly, my husband works in sales for ESPN. So he's been looking at a lot of the numbers and he says they have just been blown away by how much the numbers are down across the board for sports. And really, you know, they're looking at trying to figure out, well, why is this happening? We went so long without sports. 
and you know part of it may be there's just so much to choose from right now all of a sudden we have everything going on you know MLB playoffs and NBA playoffs and WNBA playoffs just finished up and we've got some MLS and NWSL not to mention college sports going on so there are there's a lot for the sports fan to choose from um, but we also wondered if if the way that the games are now with the lack of fans and how much of a difference that actually makes in a broadcast it actually makes it even if they're big games they don't feel as big because you don't have that wonderful natural sound that you're just so used to as a soundtrack of sports so all that being said i i think the factors that will factor in that that obviously that won't happen you know hopefully we'll be able to have fans back and that doesn't affect how we broadcast things but i think from a bigger picture just looking at what the broadcasts have looked like can we do it remotely and can we do it really good job of it for the most part yes so i think you start to balance out the cost obviously it costs a lot more to get a whole crew of people on site versus the quality because it, it is there will be some less quality there's less that we can see you take the risk of something happening that's off camera that you truly cannot properly cover you feel you're in the dark you may not be getting good communication. So, um, you know, there's a part of me, a big part of me that says, oh my gosh, I, I hope that this is not what the future will look like because, you know, I got into sports because I love the sport. I love to be there, you know, and as silly as it sounds, I mean, I love the smell of the grass when you're sitting there in game day. I love just the, the feel of being able to, I love walking into a stadium, any type of stadium, and just looking at the crowd and letting that emotion kind of carry me and carry over into the broadcast and you have to manufacture all of that when you're doing it in a studio somewhere but there is another part of me that really hates that trudge through the airport that i do all the time and the trip to the rental car and then the getting on the plane and it's nice not to have that <laughs> i've always said i love doing sports i love being at sports i do not like the travel you know so that's another nice silver lining. So I guess I'm just going to kind of take a wait and see attitude, but certainly sure hope that we will see us getting back out and being on site for games. But at this point, I really don't know. Yeah. There's an interesting push pull. I remember, um, you know, I was at NBC for the 2012 Olympics and there were a lot of people in London and then Sochi two years later, there felt like there were a lot fewer, even though maybe a lot fewer people wanted to go to that one, I would say. Uh, and then by Rio, which I had left right before that, that, you know, every, a lot of things were really had shifted to IBC and Connecticut. And, and that's just been the trend, you know, before this. So I kind of wonder if it accelerates that. And we've obviously seen so much remote production. Um, and, and as we said, you know, Fox did some, a lot of remote production last year for the World Cup, you know, even before all of this. So, um, or at least remote calling of games. I guess I shouldn't say full production, but um, right. Well, let's talk a little, I mean, NWSL is the, the here and now, obviously. Um, you've covered this league, like I said at the, in the opening here, um, you know, for three, four different outlets as it's shifted through uh, different, different rights deals year to year. Yeah. Um, you know, this year, I, I'm not as prepared as Lisa Baird with exact numbers, I guess, on, on these calls, but has broken broken TV records, you know, several times over as, as more games have aired on big CBS. And, you know, I think that's obviously drawn some attention, but what is this? Um, I guess I'm sure you're not surprised by that, but what has this year been like, you know, to see that growth and, and even maybe just more broadly, I mean, there's, you know, we have women's super league games on TV now. 
Um, you know, it's obviously been increasingly more accessible to watch college games when they're happening. There's just a lot more that's finally seems to be, be tangibly happening. I'm wondering if you've kind of felt that firsthand and, and where you see things going in terms of coverage of the sport. Yes. Well, I'm going to have to show off my TV. Yes. My- put women's sports on TV t-shirt that I wore today um, because I think that what the NWSL has done in particular, you know, if you show it where they can find it, they will watch it. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, a broadcast network, CBS is where all the records have been set. And that just goes to show you, I mean, a lot of people can access a broadcast network. They're going to flip through. It's going to be one of the channels that they turn on and they've kept it on. That's been the key thing. They've kept it on and they've watched. So I think that speaks to the quality of the product in the NWSL and should absolutely be a huge building block for the future. I remember um, as the deals were kind of coming through and I'm, I'm trying to stay in communication and saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to make sure that whatever happens, you know, I want to do what I can. Didn't get to be a part of the Challenge Cup as much as I would have liked really, but I um, was so happy. I was able to do a couple of the games and then to get to be a part of the fall series every week has been great. And I remember when the fall series was coming together and you're hearing about all these players going on loan and some are going to opt out. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, like the league is finally getting this opportunity to get a number of games on big CBS and the broadcast network. And what are we going to have left to show? And I, I truly was concerned about that, but I think what has happened is obviously some of the teams are more intact in this fall series and others, but there've been other great storylines that have come. There've been some games that haven't been, I think, up to the quality that we will see in the future in the NWSL, but I think there's been enough that have shown people, that have shown CBS, who's really making an investment in women's sports, that this is a great product. And so I've been really pleased with that. And I, I can't wait for there to be another deal, I hope in the future that will be able to showcase the full power of this league because we really haven't been able to see that yet. Not on, not on CBS's platform. Mm-hmm. What's been your favorite story, maybe player team uh, off field on field so far this, this year in a, in a weird year? Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, it's hard to ignore the Houston dash, you know, um, a team. I don't think a lot of people would have picked to have win the challenge cup myself included. They just hadn't done anything to prove to me, going into that, that they were a team that could win. But I love their intensity, their underdog mentality, and obviously they've got a lot of talent to go along with that. And the fact that they have carried that over into the fall series, I think has been, um, they've, they've been a great story. I think Orlando's story is one that has caught a lot of people. You know, this, this is a club, obviously, that was not able to participate in the Challenge Cup due to some positive COVID-19 tests. They had to withdraw. And so finally they get their chance. And I remember we were broadcasting one of their first games in the fall series. And I thought, gosh, this, this club, this team is just chock full of such wonderful stories. You know, I think I had the three M's with matrimony with Ashlyn Harris and Allie Krieger and the big news of their wedding, which has been such a big positive, I think within the last year um, that a lot of people were interested in. You had motherhood. Sydney LaRue coming back from the birth of her second child and finally, finally being able to get back out there at full speed. And then you had motivation, Tony Presley. You know, here we are, it's October right now, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and you have a player who came back from breast cancer. So, I mean, and those are just a few of them. They've got the Jamaican connection, which I think the story of Jamaica from the World Cup is one I'd love to tell, first Caribbean nation to make it to a World Cup, Women's World Cup in 2019. So, um, you know, I think I think those are some of the ones that stand out to me so far. 
Yeah, for sure. Houston Dash, I think, would probably be the the story of 2020 for me. I mean, the Challenge Cup, obviously a small sample size, but like you said, they've, they've carried it over um, into this fall series, and then they have kind of the individual storylines as well. So it's been it's been fun to watch. Hopefully, hopefully we get a full season of fun in 2021. So yeah, yeah, and I would say I want to add one more in there, Jeff. I would say uh, Portland. The one-two punch, the top two draft picks. I'm really excited to see what they can do adding into the mix with those players around them, you know, with a Lindsey Horan and a Christine Sinclair and Rocky Rodriguez this year. And then you add those two up top, Sophia Smith and Morgan Weaver. I'm, I'm excited to see what the future looks like because it's such a wonderful blend there of this new young talent and some of the best players in the world in that Portland attack. Yeah, Sophia Smith, for sure. I mean, we've seen a little bit in this fall series. Um, and, and obviously now we just got the the U.S. national team training camp roster, which uh, will be the first time in seven months, which feels like maybe even longer for everybody. Um, so interested in that. And, and you, uh, we've got four college players on that that uh, that roster and some of you know who we've kind of alluded to just now was Shea Groom, Christy Mewis from the Dash, you know a lot of NWSL performances being rewarded. I saw you tweeting earlier today. We're recording this of, about Macario, Katarina Macario, who's you know easily the news of of this camp, um, you know, and, and at least a sign of where things are going. Maybe we knew they were going that way, but you know what um, what what's the the down low on uh, some of these players maybe that you've seen a lot up close and personal that, that others maybe haven't seen. I know PAC 12 is maybe, you know, is not as often you're calling, right. But you've seen a lot. Not of as them. often, but, but they have found their way to the college cup the last few <laughs> yeah. years. So I actually have gotten yeah. to see some of those players, especially the Stanford players. Yeah. I mean, Macario, I remember two years ago, I mean, she won the last two Herman trophies. So this, she is, there's nothing new about how fantastic this player is. And she just, when you watch her, I mean, some of her highlights, if you go back and look, they are of that special quality, that Marta quality, you know, this player that just does things with the ball, Sam Kerr, Christine Sinclair. I know those are really big names that I'm putting up there around her, but I truly do feel like this player has the potential and she wants to play for the U.S. That's kind of been figuring out her citizenship and her path to getting that. And I don't remember the exact specifics of, of what she had to do or how long she had to wait, but that's kind of been what the holdup is. I think she would have been called in a lot sooner had she been able to. So now we're going to really start to see what this young player can do, but she, she truly is another level. I, I tweeted that, and I truly do believe that. She is one of those players that is unlike any other player on any field she's really ever been on. Now we'll get a chance to see her you know, in a full camp of U.S. national team players and see how she does. So I think that'll be really exciting. Jalen Howells, another one of those Florida State Seminole who's been coming up through those U.S. youth national team ranks. And she's really a, a true six, one of those hard-nosed defensive midfielders, great ball winner, great in the air. I mean, I think she could really be an important piece for the U.S. going forward, too. She continues to develop. Who else was on there? Naomi Gurma. From Stanford, right? And there wasn't there UCLA? And Maya. Oh, yeah. No. And so, of Fischel, right? Is that my official? That, yeah. Oh, I did the pronunciation right. Yeah. So, I, I don't have as much about, about those two that I can remember off the top of my head. But, yeah, I think exciting always to see some of those young players. And I was fired up to see Christy Mewis back in camp. What's mm -hmm. it been? Five, six years, maybe, since her? Yeah, other than the, the ID camp, which was, you know, kind of a, right. a different camp, I guess, to some degree. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's exciting. 
It's exciting. Well, you sound like Jen, you sound like you're ready for the analyst seat. You're going to make a, <laughs> yeah. a little move across the, uh, I don't know, across the room for one of these. And we're they, not going back there, Jeff. No, <laughs> I left that seat. I, I vacated that seat after WPS. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, WPS, I did, I, I know you prepped for this. I said to Hi. Jen, we've got to talk a little WPS because it is, you know, it feels like forever ago. Um, 2009 to 2011. So this is why I said, you know, for folks who are listening, I know we have a lot of new fans. I don't know if you get that impression as well, but you know, post 2015 World Cup, I think, and then post 2019, really a lot of newer fans, you know, WPS is like a foreign entity to them. And, and <laughs> maybe it is to us too, because I mean, some of the things that happen in that league and you look at, you know, it's been nine years now, um, you know, you kind of shake your head, I think. I mean, there's still a book of untold stories from that league, but um, I'm waiting to write that one, Jeff. Well, I've got to get some cooperation. I think you know. I think we need some more uh, need some more folks to chat about some things from that league before we can write them. But uh, um, I know you prepped for that. I mean, we had some crazy times. What what were some? Um, WPS was on Fox the entire time, right? It was. It yeah. was between Fox Soccer Channel and right. then it morphed to FS1 um, after okay. that. But yeah, so I was calling those games as an analyst with Mark Rogandino's my play-by-play, and um, I mean those were that, that was a really fun league to call, even though the absolute insanity sometimes of of what would happen. Uh, Magic Jack being at the top of that list. If you new viewers, listeners don't know what that is, just look it up. That's all I can tell you. Um, I find had, a lot to read. <laughs> yes, yes, you will. Um, but in terms of the things that stand out with staying power, you know, and I was trying to think back about what really stood out to me from those years, 2009 to 2011. Marta was really probably close to at the height of her career during those years of that league. Every She played on three different teams in the three different years. That team that she was on won the regular season championship every year she won two wps championships of getting through the playoffs and winning it and she led the league in scoring and was the mvp every year so i was just delighted to be able to feel like we had a chance to witness one of the world's greatest players at her peak every week on on our air however often her teams were on um so that's one of the biggest takeaways for me and it's so great to still see marta who's now going to have a statue which is amazing in brazil love that um as she well deserves so it's great to see her still and she still has that ability to make the marta magic i think it's always there it doesn't come quite as consistently now as she's gotten a little older in her career but certainly is still there for her in nwsl and then you know, gosh, Jeff, that first year, 2009, Sky Blue FC is going through all kinds of turmoil. They've got players leaving. I'm fairly certain they had a coach leave. All of a sudden, Christy Rampone becomes player coach. She leads the team. Very Nobody believed this would ever happen, but somehow she leads that team to a championship, beating Marta's L.A. Soul in L.A. at the then Home Depot Center, one nothing in the final. And... Um, I think I want to say, I hope I'm getting my years right. That's also when we found out she was also pregnant. Yeah. She's, I think she revealed it like after the game or right, yeah. you know, a few days later. Yeah. Yeah. So she's going through all of this being the incredible player and leader on the field. She takes over the coaching role. So she's having to deal with us media people all the time too. Oh, and by the way, she's pregnant. Drop the mic out. Win yeah. the championship. Done. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you're actually when you're talking about Marta, you reminded me, and, and this is a cool sort of insight, I think, for 
for folks, what we're talking about of the broadcast evolution, maybe of um, WPS. I'm curious how you dealt with this because from my perspective of just covering it online, I know this sounds like the stone age to people, but you could not watch games, not, you know, not even just like find an illegal stream or like it was the weekly Fox soccer channel game that, that you called. And then for the most part, I can't even remember exceptions to this. There was just like a camera you might buy at Best Buy that coaches were using for scouting. And there was a coaching video network that technically nobody was supposed to have access to, but we complained enough in the media that like, Wow. A few of us got access. I feel like like the the we're far enough removed that I can reveal these secrets, but um <laughs> that was the only way to even yeah. like write about a game that beyond you know the Philadelphia Independence sent a tweet that said they scored in the 30th and it will have to take their word for it. But I and you you think about this the history of women's soccer in this country, women's professional soccer and trying to grow and we all know, you know, the first two leagues, WSA and WPS, failed after three years. And you think about the fact, how on earth are you to build a fan base when fans can't watch the games? So I think that's been a huge priority for NWSL and now Lisa Baird taking over, obviously getting an even bigger TV deal, getting on broadcast network television. That's a huge step. You've got to put the product where people can see it because it was, it was a great product. Both of those leagues had tremendous products and they had these names that like I said, like a Marta and all the U.S. players that carried over, especially think about in WSA, trying to build off of the 99 World Cup. And people couldn't see it. And if you can't see it, you're not going to pull in the casual fans with that one game every now and then. Like you said, people want to know how their team's doing every week. And it was, yeah, you just were not going to get that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a real challenge to, to cover things. So I'm sure for you, it was um, trying to fill some gaps for uh for the broadcast of like the past three weeks that the team had played or something that wasn't accessible but uh you know if i was like one of our amazing analysts like i work with now i'm sure i would have been on that video like that you had jeff and i want to say maybe i did get access to that every now and then but i just you know i think i did my best to (laughs) fill in the gaps with knowing my future in play-by-play i probably filled in with a lot more play-by-play details really um than than true analysis which I'm sorry, fans. I, I did the best I could, but it's nothing like what you get now. Now you get some real analysts that truly, <laughs> really, truly look at the game and can break it down and do have a lot of video they can watch to help them in their analysis. Um, well, I guess a couple of little, little rapid fire things that might be fun for folks. Do you have a, you know, all these leagues, all these competitions, even from, from college to pro and international, is there a game that you've called that, that stands out to you or an event that, that really was special to you? Yep, two, one good, one bad. Uh, we'll start with the good. I bet you could guess if I told you it was NWSL. I talk about it a lot. It's, to me, the greatest game in NWSL history. Um, 2016. Yeah, I'm going to guess it's one of these 5-4 games then, right? Is that <laughs> No, well, I think it was 4-3. It was the playoff. 2016. Oh, West okay, New York the semifinal. Got at you. Portland in the semifinal. And just the, the dramatic goals in that one Lynn Williams and Jess McDonald and this bad news bears Western New York team that was just so young and refused to die and they went into Portland which by the way is one of my greatest joys honestly in any of the sports I've covered and I've done SEC football ACC men's basketball I've done World Cups 
still one of the greatest environments I've ever been in for any sport is Providence Park watching the Thorns play there. So I am, I, I truly, to, to see that happen there of all places, Western New York to go in and beat Portland in that game and, and the way that they did it in such dramatic fashion, that to me is one of my favorite games I have ever been able to call. And then 2015, FIFA Women's World Cup, first World Cup I've ever gotten to do. So, I mean, I was just thrilled to be on this big stage. I got a chance to call a semifinal, which I did not think I was going to get to do. And then I had the England-Japan yeah, England-Japan semifinal with England's own goal, mm -hmm. which was just absolutely devastating to call. Yeah. An, an own goal that wound up deciding it and knocking England out of the competition. So um, you don't love those moments at all. I, I just, my heart absolutely went out to all of those players because you could feel the anguish and nobody wants to have a game one that way. I'd much rather have that dramatic overtime game winner to call, but that one certainly stands out as one of the most memorable. Yeah. That, I mean, the final seconds that happened too. So um, what, I mean, I think you do a, a very good job of this, of, of the balance. I mean, there's got to be for you, right. A balance of um, calling, you know, obviously factual maybe isn't the term, but calling what you see and, and understanding that there are bad things that happen, whether that's a terrible back pass or whatever it might be, but having empathy, is that kind of a, a balance you have to strike? Yeah. And I think I've, I think over the years, what I was told, you know, at the very beginning of when I started doing play by play, which truly I didn't make that transition until probably couple of years before that World Cup, it was probably about 2013, where I really started to make that transition. And at the very beginning, at the very basics, I was, okay, play by play, the who, the what, the when, the analyst is the how and the why. Okay, got it, right. But I had been an analyst in both soccer and basketball. So it's like I had to, I had to turn my brain and almost force it to not do any of those comments that had much opinion or empathy or anything for me other than basically just sort of stating the facts and then letting the viewer or my analyst have their own opinions to it. But I do think as you go along in a sport, you sort of build some equity and the right to be able to add in a little more of your own perspective because you've been around it for so long. At least that's how I feel. Now, for the most part, I still try to um, not really do that too much. I, I do want it to be the viewer who has that emotion and they may just have it. And, and for me, maybe it's just a word here or there, but not, not necessarily my opinion, but I, I do want to capture whatever emotion I can sense, but I want it to be the emotion that they see from the players, not, not my own emotion, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I'm, I'm wondering too, um, as we wrap up here, the, the evolution of things, um, we were talking about WPS when, you know, Twitter was just a a new newer thing. WPS was actually um, fun fact a, a league that had more Twitter followers at one point than the NBA and everybody. You know, other big leagues, which um, was good for the WPS. Maybe speaks to how early in the game it was for Twitter. I don't know, but um, what what's different now is everything is real time, right? I'm wondering. This probably varies by broadcaster, but for you. Are you, certainly you have a producer in your ear and everything, but are you kind of gathering real-time feedback? Are you seeing, you know, an explosion of a conversation on Twitter or is that phone away for the two hours and you rely on the producer to maybe flag something if, if there is something to flag? You know, it's really funny. I, I literally think about changing perhaps the way that I do this, but I'll be honest with you. I do not look during the game. I 
take my feedback from the ones who are calling it with me and the ones, as you said, who are producing it with me. I do have my phone nearby, but honestly, it's really only in case I'm getting messages from people within our circle. However, I do think that at times it could be beneficial. Now you need to be able to sift through people are going to have their comments and you certainly don't need to be reading through all of that or responding to any of it on the air or letting it get into your head, which generally is why I put it away, good or bad. I don't need to be hearing any of that. But at the same time, if something's happening or maybe I've made a mistake and it's something I should correct, I, I, I do want to know that. Um, but yeah, that's going to be an evolving process. I, I generally do try to rely on somebody else. And if it's a regular broadcast and we have a whole crew there, I know there probably are people who are monitoring that for me, but it's not necessarily the case now. So I, I don't know, maybe I should look a little bit more, but I do try to stay fairly laser focused in on, uh, on, on what I'm doing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm not, I think that's, a good way to go not suggesting there's anything to to know in real time just um you know it, it seems well, sometimes like sometimes there is yeah well, I, true. yeah just yeah. But, um, an evolution of of where things are and uh it, it can be very distracting i try to put i try to put twitter away or the computer you know focus on the screen watching but um it's very easy to get wrapped up into something and then miss you know something that actually happened in real time while you're oh, doing yeah. I'm the worst at when I will sit down to, to go back and watch a game, be it one of my own that I'm just kind of watching to critique or if I'm watching, you know, a team's game to prepare for my next game. And I, I have to literally force myself to, you know, sit on my phone, put it in another room or, and don't pay attention to the little beeps of the emails coming in because then I feel like I totally get distracted and all of a sudden, I'm not paying close enough attention to what's happening in the game. I'm not truly watching it for the reason I need to be watching it, which is to be paying close attention. Wait, did I really cover that moment right? Or did I say the right words? Or what the heck was Orlando doing on that last attack? You know, you don't, you don't get those nuances if you let your mind start to drift and you're working two or three screens at once. So Yeah, sto tough. story of my life. I, think <laughs> I bet. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's increasingly challenging in our media space to attentively watch a game and yeah. also be on top of breaking news that seems to come every few minutes or so forth. Uh, well, let's end on a fun note. What, uh, what's, what's a prediction you have or a hope maybe that you have for 2021 in, in women's soccer, NWSL or, you know, international college, the game at large, anything you're, you're hoping to see get back to normal in, in some certain way? Well, certainly normal is definitely the word I hope we'll be, we'll be back to. I hope we'll have fans. I hope we'll have full seasons that go on in uninterrupted, not just for soccer, but for all sports. But I do think the spring is going to be a very interesting time now for the first time ever having a true split season for the NCAA season for men's and women's soccer. And knowing that College Cup is going to be in May. And I don't know the schedule yet for when the NWSL is going to get rolling, but there could potentially be some overlap there. It could be really busy. <laughs> um, hopefully that'll all work out. But I, I just hope it's a, it's a year where more eyeballs continue to be able to watch this sport and see how truly great it is and what a wonderful product we have here and buy in. Get on the bandwagon. Get some swag. Get one of those NWSL hoodies. Go get a jersey from your favorite team. I'm going to hope it just continue. We continue to see it build with more exposure and a regular uninterrupted season. <laughs> well, there you go. And Jen's got her swag to put women's women on sports, women's sports on TV. My goodness. Yes. Uh, which is a breaking tea, right? 
That is. Sure. Yeah. yeah there we love, go. So, love that. Breaking Teak and holler at us for a, a, a podcast sponsorship. If they would <laughs> yeah, they should. Uh, well, Jen Hildreth, thank you for, for joining me on Kicking Back. And folks, you can hear her, obviously, um, weekly here. A little bit, just a little bit of season left for NWSL um, on the various CBS networks coming up. So thanks for joining me, Jen. Thank you, Jeff. Always a pleasure to chat. You've been listening to Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. If you like what you heard, and we certainly hope you did, please go ahead and rate and review this pod. The more you do that, the easier it is for other people to discover this show and hear compelling stories from some of the most interesting people in women's soccer. Keep an eye out for our next episode when we kick it with our latest guest. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.